St. Alphonsus of Liguori says, The essence of perfection is to embrace the will of God in all things, prosperous or adverse. In prosperity, even sinners find it easy to unite themselves to the divine will. But it takes saints to unite themselves to God and to God's will when things go wrong and are painful to self-love. Our conduct in such instances is the measure of our love of God. St. Albert the Great, the supreme perfection of man in this life is to be so united to God that all his soul with all its faculties and powers are so gathered into the Lord God that he becomes one spirit with him and remembers nothing except God, is aware of and recognizes nothing but God. But with all his desires unified by the joy of love, he rests contentedly in the enjoyment of his maker alone. <clears throat> so it is a mistake to say that prayer, prayer as a petition when we ask for things, seeks something from God and is therefore not an act of honoring God truly and consequently, consequently is not an act of religion. Religion, give back what is due to others, give back what is due to God himself, so honoring God. Some would say, well... Um, since we ask for things, it's not really honoring God. You know, my prayer, my petitions, I ask for something, but I don't necessarily honor Him. But no, it's wrong. Both, we'll see, are really interconnected very intimately. For we do honor God when we confess that we need Him and proclaim His almighty power to bestow blessings. We honor God so when we pray. And therefore, prayer is an act, a true act of religion. <clears throat> this is clear of course for everyone but it's just a few reminders about um, the virtue of religion itself and piety more um, specifically religion is a special virtue distinct from other virtues and it disposes men to give to God the special honor that is his due therefore though religion serves the ends of justice, I don't want to explain that here, but I mentioned that already in the past. I'm sure that religion is part of the virtue of justice. What is justice? Is to give back what is due to others. Religion is the same, but towards God. Um, so therefore, though religion serves the ends of justice and is not its potential, what we call potential part, it has its own definite field wherein to exercise and apply justice. It's not, of course, identical to justice itself, but it's still um, under the umbrella of the carnal virtue of justice. Religion, says St. Thomas Aquinas, is the chief of the moral virtues because its acts are directed immediately to God's honor and glory, while the other moral virtues direct their acts to God through the medium, medium of religion. So median is kind of on top. Religion is nobler, more excellent than the other moral virtues because it connects me directly to God first. Now, piety. Piety is the virtue which disposes a person to show due deference, honor, and veneration to those who hold a place of excellence. Piety is paid first to God. And then we have a certain piety also, a veneration, honor, shown to parents, for instance. <clears throat> so, if you teach your children to have this veneration, this honor, 
of the parents, then of course it'll be easier for them as well to cultivate this true piety, filial piety to God and vice versa. Um, <clears throat> so that was just a few reminders regarding the virtue of religion and the virtue of piety. Now, simple introduction to um, prayer life in general. We have to keep in mind, and this is what St. Thomas says, that it's like breathing, okay? When we breathe, our soul, our body, we don't think about it. It's natural to us. I hope you don't think about it when you breathe. Uh, so it's the same with prayer. It should be the breathing of the soul. The breathing of the soul. Now, if you wish to become an athlete, you need to work on how to breathe properly, according to the effort you need to make. Or when you need to sing, was teaching that uh, to the, the scola, the, the right, the proper way of breathing when you sing as well. It's very important. It's, um, to become an athlete also in singing, well, it's the same with prayer. You have to learn how to pray. So as prayer to become a second nature in us. So prayer is, first of all, an elevatio mentis ad deum, an elevation of the mind, the intelligence, <laughs> my capacity to reason to God, elevating all these faculties to God. At the very root of an authentic prayer, we have man acknowledging his own frailty, his incapacity, his impossibility to reach, most of the time, his ultimate and happiness and ultimately God himself, true happiness, with his own strength. He's incapable of doing so. He needs, of course, the, the power of grace to lift him up, to have access to God. So that's the first step, a humble attitude in prayer. I know by myself, with my own strength, my own faculties, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to reach God. So necessary attitude of humility. Um, in every man's heart there is a need a need inscribed in his very nature for transcendence for something that is greater than him that surpasses him and all his powers and we have seen that in the study of many cultures civilization shows it very clearly worship has always been part of men's history either worshipping the elements kings, emperors, or simply some kind of divinity or divinities. It's really inscribed in us, this um, attraction to something that is greater than us. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, however, this transcendence, transcendence is simply the, the connection between what is higher than us, you know, this, you, the best way to explain it is simple, simply a, a vertical line between me and, and heaven and God, Transcendence is misled because of different types of superstitions mixed to it. Um, I'll skip that. Misled in today's society, this transcendence is as well misled because of philosophical pantheism. 
So, for instance, uh, with the New Age era and all that, you know, you take the universe or nature itself as the totality of everything. So the universe would be identical with divinity. That's what we have in New Age very clearly. Or that everything composes an all-encompassing immanent God. So we would all be part of this kind of divinity, being part of nature. We, um, so this is wrong because there is no more transcendence. We are all part of that same big ocean in a way. And John Paul II said in the encyclical Redemptor Ominis, when I was talking about this natural attraction that we have in our soul to something that is greater than us, even if you know people that don't believe in anything, um, they, they feel attracted to something that is greater. They will say to you that it's, you know, a, a big, um, uh, how do you call it, um, organizer of the whole universe, you know, like a force or an energy, but there is still something that is more than just us because I could, cannot create, so there should be something. Of course, they won't call it God, and they will see that presence in different things, you know, these divine presence in different things which are not good um, but still it's really inscribed in our nature something that is greater that transcends our own nature and so John Paul II says about that the fathers of the church rightly saw in the various religions as it were so many reflection of the one truth what he calls what they call the seeds of the word seeds of the words like presence of the word in, in different um, religion attesting that Though the routes taken may be different, there is but a single goal to which is directed the deepest aspiration of the human spirit as expressed in its quest for God and also in its quest through its tending towards God for the full dimension of its humanity, or in other words, for the full meaning of human life. In other words, we can see, yes, that the presence of, of God guiding his people, we saw that, of course, with the, before the coming of our Lord, in the Old Testament, but even in, in some other civilizations that are not Christian, uh, but here we have to be careful, of course, not to mix everything and think, oh, you know, well, all the religions are the same family. There is, you know, seeds of the word, presence of God everywhere, you know. doesn't matter what you follow. I mean, we at the end of the day, we all end up in the same place and uh, we all share to that same idea in a way but no 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 because we know that Christ God instituted the church and so on um, but still we can find his presence either willed by God himself you know in some civilization he has prepared the people like think of Our Lady of Guadalupe for instance the Indian knew exactly um, who she was in a way in the tilma because they had all this culture already present so it was not a surprise this pregnant woman who would be, you know, uh, a, a king, a um, queen, and, and so on, you know, all that about the tilma. So God prepares his people in different ways. Now, be careful as well, the devil also can um, singe, can, uh, uh, how do you say that, can imitate, in a way, the, the presence of God. That's why, for instance, in several civilizations, we also see this figure of a woman, you know, a woman, um, but it's not Our Lady, but um, the Greeks had something like that, and other civilization had some very important ladies, but that were totally different from Our Lady, of course, uh, model of purity and so on. But we see that, that the devil also can kind of imitate 
the presence of God in different civilizations. So we have to be be careful in how we use these expressions, seeds of the word. You understand, seeds of the word, word with a capital W, the word, the, the word of God. But we know from Hebrew chapter 11, it is impossible to please God without faith. Nobody reaches God's presence until he has learned to believe that God exists and that he rewards those who try to find him. And it is impossible to please God without faith, meaning the faith, the, the, the Catholic faith taught by the church, taught by Christ himself. So, again, um, we see that prayer is a true elevation of the mind to God. This um, traditional, classic definition, elevatio mentis adeo, elevation, mentis, the mind, the intelligence, the reason, adeo to God. And there is this thing, this aspect in any form of prayer, this attraction. Man in his indigence is thirsting for his deepest desires to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. And God, of course, is revealed to him as this absolute of being, of life, of existence, of goodness, who is the only one who can feel the need of his heart, St. Augustine again. Um, we can quote Psalm 24, All my heart goes out to thee, O Lord my God, belind not to the trust I have in thee, let not my enemies boast of my downfall. Can any that trust in thee be disappointed, as they are disappointed who lightly break their troth? Direct my way, Lord, as thou wilt. Teach me thy own path. Every, ever let thy truth guide and teach me, O God, my deliverer, my abiding hope. Forget not, Lord, thy pity, thy mercies of long ago. Give heed no more to the sins and frailties of my youth, but think mercifully of me as thou, Lord, art ever gracious. How gracious is the Lord, how faithful, guiding our straight feet back to the path. Guiding our straight feet to, back to the path. In his own laws, he will train the humble. In his own path, the humble he will guide. Jealous by thy keeping of covenant and ordinance, the Lord's dealings will be ever gracious ever faithful with thee. Kindly be thy judgment of my sins. Kindly be thy judgment of my sin for thy own honor's sake, my grievous, grievous sin. So it is useful to begin everything with prayer because thereby we surrender ourselves to God and unite ourselves to Him. Um... <clears throat> So it's also, it's, as we said, a raising of the mind, an elevation of the mind. What some have called a commercium in Latin, a commercium, a commerce. Uh, the sense in English is a little bit different. But commercium is um, like social intercourse, interconnection, which then implies a certain intimacy in the relation in question. A relation that will find its full realization at the incarnation, of course, of our Lord. Our Lord. And in our lives with the divine presence in us. Full realization in the incarnation. This connection is made clear. Christ became man. And in our own lives as well. The divine presence of God in us. Prayer is simply the speaking of the mind to God. What structure does the mind need? So that not looking back, it may raise the Lord raise to the Lord and converse with Him. 
with no intermediary? That's the question. So there is therefore a certain paradox, almost a contradiction in the Christian prayer between on the one hand, the divine transcendence that we have just mentioned, this inability that I have to reach God truly, I know I have this attraction, but still it's God, so it, there's a huge gap in, in between the two. So this divine transcendence, and on the other hand, this intimate union, this filial adoption that we have seen in uh, when Christ, uh, I mentioned that a few weeks ago, uh, at the foot of the cross, uh, behold thy mother, behold thy son. So we have to keep the two. First, this humble attitude in prayer, acknowledging my weaknesses, my inability to reach God. And on the, on the other side, on God's side, truly, this filial adoption, he comes down to us. And St. Therese of the Little Flower says, Prayer is for me an outburst of, from the heart. It is a simple glance darted up, upward to heaven. It is a cry, of gra a cry of gratitude and of love in the midst of trial as in the midst of joy. In a word, it is something exalted, supernatural, which delights, delight, delights the soul and unites it to God. Sometimes when I find myself spiritually in dryness so great that I cannot produce a single good thought, I recite very slowly an Our Father or an Hail Mary. These prayers alone can console me. They suffice, they nourish my soul. So prayer isn't a kind of hard and demanding metaphysical effort, since very few could actually pray if it was the case. But prayer is to simply believe that God is present, and that as much and as long as we can, we should keep in mind this presence of God. Even in a terrible agony, one can still utter, say in his heart, Father, Abba. And therefore, we would always be able to pray until our last breath. If we could simply even mentally just say these words, Father. We can always be in the presence of God, or more precisely, we cannot escape from God's presence. If this relation would cease, we would, we would not exist any longer, of course. If God would forget about us, we would not, we would just vanish, be gone. So prayer is to understand this presence of God, but not just putting myself into His presence, but keeping in mind that he is always present. And it's most of the time it's me uh, going away from his presence. But this, however, is not enough for our prayer. Our conversation with God has to be conscient, have to be aware of this presence, and animated. There is a certain work to do. Moved by the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. So the secret of perpetual prayer is to make this practice a virtue, a perpetual thing, constant. And this practice of God's putting myself into God's presence will develop a habit, a habit of prayer. As the body needs food and exercise to grow, so does the soul. Prayer is the daily food of our soul. And this is why when our prayer life is weak, our moral life starts going downhill and might finally also kill the soul because of a mortal sin. So prayer, of course, as you understand now, is not just about, you know, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I did my morning prayer, or I didn't do my morning prayer, or in the evening, same thing. No, it's a constant attitude to have, to remember 
God's presence at every instant of my life. So I should try to renew as much as possible this um, acknowledgement of God's presence in my life. That's true prayer. Once again, St. Therese is the best example for that. And Our Lady as well, you have the whole month of May to meditate on that. Mary had physically this um, constant presence of God by, you know, the presence of Christ himself at home constantly. So every word that she would tell our Lord was a true prayer in a way, because a true connection with God himself. So that's what we have to imitate. I have to do this and that. I have to talk to this person or that other person. I have to cook. I have to clean the house. I have to drive. Well, quickly I can simply say a few words to God, and that's a true prayer. That's a commercium. That's the proper meaning in Latin, commercium, uh, commerce. I'm sorry, the rendering in, in English is bad, but um, the, the connection that the, the translation that I found best for that was a social intercourse, interconnection. Um, <clears throat> the Catholic Church, uh, the compendium of the Catholic Church, you know, this uh, summary of the catechism says, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God. So here, quoting the fathers of the church, elevatio mentis adeo, raising of one's mind to God and heart, or the petition, the asking of good things from him in accord with his will. And sometimes we forget the second part. Asking things, of course, <clears throat> but according to his will. So if we don't get what we ask for, certainly because it is not according to God's holy will. And we have to accept that. And that's what is therefore best for us, the situation we're in. Sometimes he wants us to be patient. It would be too easy to get everything right away. So he wants us to be patient and to persevere. It is always the gift of God who comes to encounter men. Again, the gift of God. We have this, um, what we just talked about, this paradox. I know I have to reach God. I am attracted to it, but by myself I can do it. Yeah, of course, because it's gift of God himself to you, him coming to you, and you trying to let yourself be opened up by his presence, by accepting his holy will in all the trials of life and so on. Christian prayer is the personal and living relationship of the children of God with their Father, who is infinitely good, with His Son, Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit, who dwells in their hearts. That was, again, the compendium. Don Guéranger, you're familiar with the liturgical year from Don Guéranger. He says that prayer is the first of all the goods that man has. It is his light, his food, his life itself, since it puts him in direct contact with God, who is light, food, and life. Let's go through the four functions of prayer now. Adoration, we ask for pardon, we give thanks, and we ask for graces. These are the four characteristics of prayer. Again, adoration, ask for pardon, we give thanks, and we ask for graces. Adoration, kneeling before the divine majesty and the infinite perfections of God. The soul belittles herself, contemplates, admires, believes, hopes, has confidence, loves, rejoices at the thought that God finds glory in himself and in his creatures. Or considering God as her creator and sovereign master, the soul submits herself humbly and blesses God's divine providence. 
She wants to obey and will abandon herself with confidence and love in the hands of her father. St. Thomas Aquinas says, he starts saying, quoting St. John the Messine, As the Messine says, since we are composed of a twofold nature, intellectual and sensible, my intelligence, my reason, and then the sensible, my senses, we offer God a twofold adoration, therefore, namely a spiritual adoration consisting in the internal devotion of the mind and a bodily adoration, which consists in an exterior humbling of the body. And since all, in all acts of adoration, that which is without... Sorry, here there's a mistake. So, in other words, we exhibit signs of humility in our bodies through these external signs of prayer. We exhibit signs of humility, true humility, not a fake... Uh, facade, uh, humility, but true humility through our genuflections, signs of the cross, bowing of the heads during Mass, all these signs, in order to incite our affections to submit to God, since it is co-natural to us to proceed from the sensible to the intelligible. That's the, 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 the basis of St. Thomas Aquinas' philosophy. All the intelligible, all the thing that I have in my, my, my intelligence, my reason, I get them from my senses. I wouldn't have the idea of table, you know, the idea of table, the thought of table, if first I did not have the information through my senses of what a table is, right? I know what a table is because I saw so many tables, I know the shape, can touch, so now I can form in my reason the idea of what table means. But again, even when I think of table, in my intelligence, I have the image of a certain table. I cannot, you know, gather all these individual tables to uh, just think of the, the perfect table. I don't know, no, I, I always have to go back to what my senses gave to my intelligence. So same here in prayer, he says, if my external attitude is proper, you know, to prayer, my genuflections, again, all these things, that's why it's so important the the rites, uh, the way the priest says Mass, you know, all these rubrics that we have to follow that are so easily attacked today, you, you know, so why so many rubrics, why so many little rules at Mass? Well, because every sign, every gesture that I do is according to a specific prayer. So they help me, these signs, to understand better the realities behind these prayers, all these signs. So I lose a lot, you know, when I don't do anymore all these gestures, all these external things. Uh, it's much more difficult for me to truly understand the realities that are behind these words, you know, you know. So same for you as a faithful, you know, all these genuflections, signs of the cross. Um, they help me, these external things through my senses, to understand uh, more deeply what's the reality behind all that the mysteries of my faith, in other words. So, for instance, sorry, I continue with St. Thomas Aquinas. No, I'm done with him. Uh, <coughs> so, for instance, how many times a week do I humbly kneel in my room? How many times a week do I humbly kneel by myself in my room to ask the favors I need? Or simply while reciting the rosary? You know, that helps as well. You see that, you're all witness that, you know, oh, I have a few minutes, I'll say the rosary now, but, you know, I, if you're walking, if it helps you, fine, uh, but you'll see that it's more powerful, your prayer will be more attentive if, for instance, you kneel a little bit uh, when saying the rosary. And kneeling is, of course, the, 
the perfect position because it's the, the one position for uh, humility, the humble soul, which is, as we mentioned at the very beginning, the first step, the first attitude in prayer, humility. Knowing my weakness, my impossibility to reach God truly by myself. So our adoration, that was the first point again of these um, the aspects of prayer. Adoration should proceed from a certain fear of the Lord. We have the examples of Abraham, if you read the history of Abraham again, and Moses prostrating themselves in the presence of the glory of God. They couldn't even see him. And of course, at the transfiguration of our Lord himself, the disciples, when they heard it, says the gospel, they fell on their faces overcome with fear. I mentioned here uh, fear of the Lord, but of course more filial fear. St. Francis de Sales is uh, perfect for that. You know, it's not the fear of um, Puritans or some Protestants or uh, some other uh, Catholics. Fear that would be a fear of a slave. No, it's the fear of a, of a son. Fear to offend his Lord. <clears throat> we also need, as simple, sorry, blah, blah, blah. We also need to know, we need a certain knowledge because we adore what we know, of course, to help us. We do not only experience the divine transcendence of God in my prayers, but we are aware of the infinite debt of justice that separates us from Him. So I have to read more to know more about God, His presence, and so on. Again, remember, this is one of the pillars for catechism, to know, to love, and to serve. To know is the first step. So humble attitude, but I need to know Him, to be able to worship Him truly. Ask for pardon. I'll be quicker, faster. Ask for pardon, the second aspect of prayer. Looking back at all these past years with bitterness and with a contrite and humble heart, the soul confesses her sins and faults to God. She's ashamed and she shows her repentance. She asks for God's mercy, takes firm resolutions, accepts penances and expiations, and embraces the crosses sent by God's divine providence. That's one aspect of prayer again. So you see again that prayer is not only when I kneel in the morning or before going to bed. No, it's a whole attitude of repentance for being ashamed because of my past sins, confessing my sins to God. You know, when I have these memories coming back to my mind, but a contrite and humble heart asking for God's mercy. We give thanks. We give thanks in prayer. We often forget that. We ask a lot, but we forget to give thanks for what we have received or what we have not received because we know it was God's holy will. Thanks be His holy will. She gives thanks the soul for all the general and particular benefits received from God. She elevates herself easily from simple gratitude to a deep love, which is the first step of a true prayer, thanksgiving, gratitude, from which true love is born. Yeah. And you see that, you know, a kid that thanks his parents, uh, usually when you're upset or when you don't really love you, it's more difficult to thank people, you know. But when it's a true, deep thank you, uh, of course, that increases uh, love, true love, true charity as well. So that's a good thermometer as well. How much do I 
give thanks to God in my prayers, you know. It's a thermometer to see my level of true charity towards God, true love towards God. How often do I give thanks? Ask for graces. And you see here, it's the fourth one. And usually in our prayers, it's, we put it first. But no, we need to go through these other steps before. Ask for graces. Ask for what we need. Finally, the soul asks for new graces, temporal and spiritual, for herself and for those dear to her, begging God for both members of the militant and suffering church. Militant church here on earth, suffering church, purgatory. Strictly speaking, this is the only form of prayer. All the other forms described previously are only parts, integral parts of, of it. Hebrew says, Nobody reaches God's presence until he has learned to believe that God exists and that he rewards those who try to find him. Um, we mentioned that already at the beginning. that he rewards those who try to find him. Reward. So we ask, we try to find him, we ask for what we need, and he will reward. He will give us the graces we need. <clears throat> there is, in fact, in the prayer of petition, this particular form of prayer, petition to ask for, a true psychological richness, because it encompasses the whole movement of religion in us. First, I explain, uh, it is an elevation to God as the supreme superior to whom we are all subject. If I ask, it shows clearly that I need something, of course, and therefore I truly need this. Um, I naturally foster this humility in me when I ask, when a little kid asks his mom what he, you know, for, for stuff, there's already a beginning of humility in that uh, petition, in the, the fact that he's asking. So same thing in my prayer, asking for God, of course, is essential, asking the graces I need, and that will foster naturally the, the virtue uh, of humility, the reverence, the veneration that I need to have. It implies an attitude of reverence and veneration, without which true humility of heart is not possible. The only fact that you need to ask shows a certain superiority on the side of the one we ask to. Uh, then it is an offering to God of what is most precious to us, our own mind, and in our mind itself, the most intimate part of it, the government and the practical direction of our lives. It is also an implicit profession of the grandeur of God and of all, and of our total dependence on Him, and at the same time, a profession of all the trust and confidence we have in Him. A few things here regarding the requirements of my prayer. How should my prayer be done? First, my intention. What is my intention? There can be no human act without the intention of the will. My intention should be actual. I should try to renew that at the beginning, at least at the beginning. Beginning of my prayers of the day. Whatever I will uh, try to... Um, when we talk about intention here, we, we say we imply the... Um, my desire to serve him in everything I do, uh, the intention to serve God in everything I do. So it should start at the beginning of the day, but then I should try to renew that as much as possible during the day as well. It will last except 
if I make a contrary act of my will, you know, I decide not to pray anymore, I decide not, you know, or um, if I have distractions, of, of course, if I have distractions during the day or in my prayers, this intention to, to serve him, to unite myself to him uh, stops, but of course I can try to reconnect the the relation with God by simply saying, oh my God, I'm sorry for this little distraction, or, um, yeah, trying to renew as much as possible, as often as possible, this um, attitude of prayer in my life, in my day. My attention now, my attention, should be external attention, trying to, if when it comes to prayer itself, in the morning or evening or other times of the day, the, the, you understand when I the difference between the, the prayers here, the, the attitude of prayers, constant attitude during the day, and the actual prayers when I kneel. So here we're talking about the actual prayers. Um, I should try to try my best to have the external attention, turn off the TV, try to, uh, you know, stop any activity for a little while before starting my prayers. This way I don't have all these distractions popping up in my mind. If I calm down all these things that were uh, around me before taking the time to pray, and also an interior attention, interior attention, of course. Now to help me, especially for you uh, regarding the, the Mass itself, um, take a, pay attention to the pronunciation of the words themselves. Trying to, you know, have a verbal attention, the words that I say, the words that the priest is saying, trying to read, really trying to follow, or just stopping on one particular text, and um, if I have distractions, going back to another text, or trying to apply my attention to these words. Then, of course, the meaning of the words themselves. So the first is a verbal attention, simply the words, that helps to, you know, stay there. And then the meaning of the words, the literal attention. And then a more perfect way is um, trying to think of God himself, uh, when I pray, thinking of whom I'm praying to, who I'm praying to in my prayers. Because um, again, we are not saints, or maybe we have saints among us, but you know, we don't have the infused uh, prayer um, attitude. So we need to you know, use our senses you know, by simply looking at the words, trying to apply my attention to the words in order to avoid many um, distractions. Even if I don't feel anything, even if I don't have any thought or whatever, any anything going on in my mind when I read, well, I know that these these are prayers by themselves. So I'm already praying simply by reading them. Then I should try to apply my attention a little bit more and, and so on. You, you know the different steps, you understand. Uh, and the time now, what time should I pray? We have been exhorted, we have been uh, uh, invited to pray always, says St. Paul, pray always. This is rendered possible by the simple fact, as we have mentioned above, that the prayer, um, the desire of prayer is already a prayer. The desire to unite myself to God is already a prayer. So I want to constantly during the day, I can have this desire to unite myself to God. And that's already a form of prayer because I'm telling him, you know, uh, that I want to unite myself to him. Um, I will be fully united to him in heaven, of course, but already here on earth, I can uh, foster that by simply reminding myself of this desire, simple desire. And simply uh, to conclude with St. Augustine uh, again, as we 
have the Feast of Saint uh, Monica today. To pray with many words is not the same as to pray long. To speak long is one thing, to be devout long is another. For it is written that our Lord passed the whole night in prayer, and that he prayed the longer, in order to set us an example. Further on he says, When praying, say little, yet pray much. Is Sorry, when praying, say little, yet pray much, so long as your attention is fervent. For to say much in prayer is to discuss your need in too many words, whereas to pray much is to knock at the door of him we pray, by the continuous and devout clamor of the heart. Indeed, this business is frequently done with groans rather than with words, with tears rather than with speech. And we have the tears of St. Monica her whole life, remember, well, big part of her life. Uh, tears for the conversion of her son. And finally God answered her prayers and he converted and became one of the most magnificent pillars of our church today. So let's pray St. Monica to teach us how to pray humbly. She, had, she was answered because she had the right attitude in prayer. Humble attitude, perseverance attitude, perseverance and constant. St. Monica, pray for us.